And we are live for our Wednesday early bird podcast sessions, uh, studies. Yeah, that's the theme. We've been doing studies on Wednesdays. It's been a minute. It's been uh, several weeks, probably close to a month. (laughs) But we'll get back into it, won't we? We'll be in Genesis chapter 42, and we'll be looking at Joseph's brothers sent to Egypt. Very interesting account in there. Truly fascinating. Absolutely. Stefan Maez, my name. AddedSouls.com is the website. Please consider signing up to AddedSouls.locals.com. You can choose to support the work over there. And I labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ over here on New Brunswick, Canada. And you can check out the .com, EastCoastChurchOfChrist.com. We also have ourselves a Facebook page. So we're going to keep studying along in Genesis And we're in chapter 42, so if you're looking for uh, the chapters prior, by all means, check out the archived video uh, location on, uh, well, Rumble, I think, is the the channel that would have that. Also, we have our Facebook page, Added Souls, on Facebook. There's YouTube. Uh, Facebook and Rumble are probably our biggest channels there if you want to take a look at those videos. They're available. They're there for you. And if you can't find them, send me a message and I'll I'll send you the, the link. So uh, Joseph's brothers are sent to Egypt. Let's put that up on the screen here so we can follow along together. There we go. A lot of information, of course, has been taking place. Uh, leading up to this moment for Joseph, he's certainly been humbled. He's gained much wisdom and discernment through the experience he's had, betrayed by his own brothers and left for dead almost, if you will. He was, of course, apprehended and purchased for Egyptian slavery, but God was with him and he had um, principle and he had the character of uprightness and decency and uh, fearing God. And so uh, he was capable of being successful in Egypt because God was with him through uh, those, uh, those means, if you will. And again, though the influence of things trying to remove him from being successful in Egypt, uh, they were not successful to stop Joseph's success, if you will. So he made his way to uh, having a prominent position of authority and leadership and uh, respect and honor from uh, Pharaoh. And that's kind of what took place there in a, in a very brief manner in Pryor's chapter in regards to Joseph's account. And we'll read verses 50 through 57 again of chapter 41, leading us to chapter 42, so that you and I today can uh, follow along and begin our journey and uh, within the text. Is that okay? Let's do that. Verse 50 of chapter 41 says, Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of uh, Heliopolis, I guess, I don't know how you pronounce that. Well, they bore to him. Okay, so uh, Joseph had a child there, and Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, uh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And of course, these two names have Uh, descriptive information, if you will. The first one, uh, the descriptive nature of the name would be making to forget. 
and Manasseh would be known as fruitfulness. And of course, the information of the text reveals why, and if you understand the context, you would certainly understand why those designated names would have been given to his children. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So sorry, I may have, I think I misspoke here. Manasseh is known as the one making to forget, and Ephraim is the one known as fruitfulness. Manasseh, making to forget, Ephraim, fruitfulness. And you may have, uh, your Bible may have those footnotes there that reveal those descriptive uh, branches to those names. And it makes sense through what Joseph has had to endure and been the recipient of a great deal of persecution, turmoil, challenge, facing his own death uh, numerous times, uh, yet found successful to um, persevere persevere through the um, persevere through what his brothers had done to him his family forgetting his family forgetting his brothers letting that go and becoming uh, fruitful in the land of Egypt as an individual who was given a position of power of authority and leadership of decision and discernment so that's that's quite interesting now the text continues here verse 53 when the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, remember, he had been interpreting dreams. Well, God had been interpreting dreams through Joseph as the vessel, making Joseph one to be trusted, of course, by the powers that be of that age. Uh, years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said. Then there was famine in all the lands, but in, in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. Now that's that just goes to show how a faithful follower of God, a believer who is faithful and humble to God, can be put in positions of great power in a nation for the greater cause of God's purpose. It's the same today in principle, if you will. Though we no longer are submissive to live under the age of the old law, we certainly can learn from that, as Paul would command his brethren in the first century. Should be doing, learn from this text. Why? Because there's principle there. God can utilize us as his instruments if we are submissive to his will and humble to his path. And he can have us in positions of great power, perhaps even leadership in a nation if we are so faithful to him and active in our works to his will. So here is the leader of a nation telling his citizenry that they should seek Joseph as lead to this end in regards to famine and food. Whatever he says to you, whatever he says to you, you do it. You do it. That's, that's quite the uh, insight, if you will, to uh, an account uh, revealing principle for our pr practical application today. Whether you be an employer or an employee, whether you be within the realm of sociopolitical affairs and political conversations, 
uh, or uh, entertainment or academics or media. It, it doesn't matter. You can achieve uh, uh, great things uh, if God, of course, is uh, the priority in your life and you seek ye first, Matthew 6, 33. So when the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, verse 56 of chapter 41 in Genesis here, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt, a very sev a severity in which folks, of course, would perish out of Famine, no food, children, women, men. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. And of course, in this providential path, God uh, always with the inspired orchestra, um, having this rightly handled in time, his time. Interesting indeed to see how famine would bring about the return of his brethren, his brothers, his siblings, but in this fashion, in a submissive and humble way. Sometimes we, sometimes, the way we speak, <laughs> we are submissive to the natural realm of time. God is above and beyond time. We, of course, in understanding the greater scope of things, must utilize time, for we are submissive to it in this natural realm. So we would say, it is wise to learn patience. God teaches us patience and suffering long so that on his providential timeline, things happen with justice and accuracy. Uh, an example to that end, look way back at this account starting in Genesis with Abraham, Abram and Sarah. They were told by God that a child of promise, of ancestral lineage to the promise would be born. Yet they, in their knee-jerk reaction, if you will, their impatience chose to go a different route and caused a great consequence of turmoil and chaos and division in the family. They sought to have a child now, and we're not going to wait for God to give us a child. We're going to have one now, and they, of course, practice lawless ways to achieve that, and uh, we today even live the consequences of those moments. Well, if they would have simply learned patience and waited, they would have had the child of promise at the opportune time, and still the child came, for God's will was done, always. But we can see, of course, how this principle is well and alive today, as it was here in the account of Joseph. Allow God's time to mend and repair if the hearts of men have been humbled to that end, of course, for we are all independently accountable. We are all accountable to God with the intellectual capability to make a decision to follow God or not follow God. And at this here time in which Joseph's siblings would have certainly been humbled in famine in the years that have taken place, and God's going to bring all of this together again. Chapter 42. Chapter 42, verse 1. We will begin uh, our new section here of study. It says, and I quote, Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. And Jacob said to his sons, why are you staring at one another? 
So he said, behold, and even before here, uh, before that verse, interesting. I just thought of it. Um, Jacob, he saw that there was grain in Egypt. So he has the discernment and wisdom to identify, to recognize the source of our, um, how should I say, preservation. The source of our preservation within these physical vessels as a family is found in Egypt. Nourishment, food, physical. We need it. We don't have it here. We need to attain this purchase so that our family can survive. He recognizes this in the de in the desperation of their situation. If only Jacob in his earlier years would have had that discernment and recon uh, that identification, if you will, uh, when he was being deceived uh, by his sons in regards to Joseph. But at times it seems we miss that mark, don't we? Until a few years have passed by and we're like, oh, we've learned a thing or two. And of course, this goes back within the lineage of his family. Ancestral uh, baton being passed in these harsh lessons in life. Interesting. There it is. Why are you staring at one another? You know, Are you being idle? Are you being vain in your practice? He said, behold. I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. So he's got himself some insiders to the effect, allowing him this information. Go down there and buy some for us for from that place so that we may live and not die. An insider has allowed me to know there is provision. There is a source of food in Egypt. We are starving to death. We will die. It is an objective, absolute reality of our existence. We will perish if we do not acquire food. So we must go to this location. What are you waiting for? Why are you being idle? What's the matter with you? Let's get things going here. We, we're dying over here. Do we recognize that same spiritual value for Christ, eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins? Sadly, at times, only challenge with that thought once we are found in desperation, once we are found lowly, humbled, broken, reverent, Seeking nourishment, do we find the Christ? Here is the information moving forward. Verse 3, chapter 42, Genesis. Then ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. So a portion of them, the greater bulk of the siblings there. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers. For he said, this is the reasoning behind Jacob's mind in regards to keeping Benjamin back. I am afraid that harm may befall him. Is it a matter in perspective of uh, uh, favoritism? Uh, this would not have been a new worldview or practice from Jacob. Or perhaps he sees Benjamin not yet physically or mentally uh, prepared to go on such a journey, which could, of course, um, require his life. 
you know, there's some danger ahead, if you will. I am afraid that harm may befall him. So the sons of Israel, in verse 5, the sons of Israel, Jacob that is, came to buy grain among those who were coming. They're not the only ones. <laughs> the grapevine is certainly active and thumping, and other individuals who seek to preserve their lives and the lives of their families and communities must go to Egypt in the hopes of acquiring some food. For the famine, it says here, was in the land of Canaan also. It had spread uh, very far. And uh, just as God had interpreted the dream to Pharaoh through Joseph the vessel. Now, verse 6, Joseph was the ruler over the land. Again, go back to chapter 41. Look at the way or the descriptive way in which Pharaoh speaks of Joseph. Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. He has the authority. He has the lead. Joseph was the ruler over the land. Again, isn't it not interesting? And quite the testament uh, witnessed that God can take an individual like Joseph and have him at such a um, measurement of power uh, is just truly fascinating to me how God can operate if we just let him do his work and we simply serve, humbly so. It's truly fascinating. Among the pagan is found this here uh, Israelite, and uh, somehow, right? Well, the somehow, of course, is explained. It's not some kind of unknown nebula where we are just like happenstance with it. Oh, I don't know. He woke up one day and Pharaoh made him the leader. <laughs> no, there was a process, and we've learned through that. Again, go back to the archived video sessions. So Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold uh, to all the people of the land. He's in command. He is of this uh, task. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground in a reverent bowing, uh, typically seen in form of worship, if you will, Joseph's brothers came and bowed, bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Their eyes are not, um, how should I say, their eyes are not permitted to look upon the leadership in such a way they approach this situation with reverence in a humble fashion. You know, uh, beggars can't be choosers. They're, they are there to acquire nourishment which would preserve their family. They're not there to... To, to, to have uh, this puffed-up attitude or this arrogance uh, or, or uh, this diatrophic uh, character or nothing like that. I mean, they're there to receive food, and they have to do what they need to do. And so Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And when Joseph saw his brothers, uh, he recognized them. He knew who they were. But he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. Allowed himself to fall into that temptation, right? It, I mean, you can't. It's a very difficult thing to go through such an experience in your life at the hands of those you loved and those you thought loved you. 
so closely as siblings. Uh, some of us know exactly what that feels like. And uh, it's a difficult one because it can fester a bitter, uh, vengeful heart uh, within the mind. And uh, it can remain there as a chip on the shoulder, if you will. And I think Joseph had done all he could. And of course, with the the receiving of God's blessings and even the names of his sons, Joseph's sons, to that end, that he had forgotten about them, that he had found peace and fruitfulness, that he no longer wanted to have any intrusive thought or despair or sorrow uh, come from from, uh, the thoughts of his past in regards to his family and what they did to him. Yet here they are. Uh, bowed down before him in reverence, uh, and uh, he disguises himself to them and spoke to them harshly. It would have been very tempting to do that, and so he, of course, apprehended that uh, opportunity, if you will, and did such. And it's interesting also, again, in regards to the things that had taken place, one uh, deception at the hands of disguising oneself uh, in the history of that family had taken place to rob one's blessing and uh, birthright. I mean, again, all of this uh, flows in such a way that is uh, quite revealing. And so he says to them, here's what Joseph says to them as an individual disguised uh, and speaking harshly, where have you come from? Now he knows the answer to that. And they said, from the land of Canaan, to buy food. Let's not get into some deep deep conversations here. Let's keep it strictly with the weather, right? I mean, <laughs> it was a direct question. Let's give a direct answer from the land of Canaan. And the purpose is, of course, to buy food. We're starving to death. We're dying. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, verse 8, although they did not recognize him. He's got the upper hand. It's kind of like being in a location. For instance, I'm speaking English. You may catch, uh, well, how should I say this? I was born and raised French. I speak French, but I've learned to speak English. Now, you may at times hear me pronounce certain words and be like, oh, hey, wait a minute. English is perhaps not his native tongue. And you'd be right. French is my native tongue. Well, I found myself at times in nests of English-speaking people, and uh, because they would recognize me or perceive me to be a French-speaking person, incapable of understanding the English language, they would speak English language, to which I would hear and be like, oh, I have the upper hand. I know what they're saying about me. They have no idea that I know the language they speak. Okay, well, in that fashion, if you will, perhaps for a brief illustration, to the end in which Joseph has the upper hand in that fashion. They do not recognize him, but he recognizes them. So Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them. Interesting. And said to them, you are spies. You have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. (laughs) A capital offense, of course, which could lead to execution. Well, they said to him, No, my lord, but your servants have come to buy food. Oh, no, man, don't don't, don't go in that direction with us, man. (laughs) Please, no. 
we're we're going to die of starvation. We're not here to scope out some land and have war or steal or rob anything from you. We just want to have some food so we don't die. We, verse 11, are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. <laughs> now imagine being Joseph, right? And uh, having all these years of trying to make sense of the attack and why did it happen? And how did it allow, how did I allow it to happen? How was I so blind? Well, see, Joseph had a weak spot. He had a blind spot, a weakness, and uh, his brothers took advantage of that, and they utilized that. Uh, to their agenda, which was to dispose of Joseph in such a way. And he's had the time to go through those moments and, and those moments in which he must have said, ah, man, I missed those red flags from my own siblings. And maybe there were some, some things I, I should not have said, I should not have done that, uh, um, um, if you will, fueled the fire in their delinquencies to have me sold off here and, and given off away from my family. Like he's had that time. And of course, it's difficult to remove uh, scars, trauma to that end in such a way. So here they are, his brother, envision, you know, you put this all together and here are his brothers who sold him off, who, de who, who, who deceived him, who sold him off, who'd done a great sin against their brother, Joseph. Uh, they're here talking about, we are honest men. What do you mean you're honest men? You lied to Israel. You lied to Jacob. Told them I had been devoured by uh, a beast. So you are liars and deceivers, murderers to that end. A case could perhaps be made, though they did not slay him there and then. I mean, you know, <laughs> giving him off to uh, the unknown is, is uh, certainly uh, permitting room for uh, the conversation of one being, or the facilitation to one's murder. Your servants are not spies, they say. Well, you're not honest. He must be thinking this thought. Like, yeah, right, you're honest? Sure, right. And at times, that's how it, it, that's how it happens. Your servants are not spies. Servants, really? Yet he said to them in verse 12, no. But you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. Oh, man. It must have certainly been emotionally fulfilling for Joseph in such a prestige position of power in this nation, the source of nourishment for all who sought not die from famine. His brothers there and now, and he has this upper hand, it certainly... Uh, understandable why he would, uh, for a time, um, for a time entertain this very uh, engagement. No, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. But they said in verse 13, your servants are 12 brothers in all. The sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no longer alive. <laughs> they don't know who they're talking to, 
Joseph knows exactly who he's talking to. You truly have to look at the big picture here. If you don't have a humble heart to look at the big picture, you may be found with a weak a weakness to be taken advantage of or a blind spot that a coming vehicle will hit you and you won't know it. Um, look at the grand scheme of things that have taken place here in the chapters and this account and this family. Uh, it's interesting. One is no longer alive. They assume this, of course, throughout the years and the things that have happened at their hands. But it's interesting to me how Joseph and his thoughts must have been running at this moment. So Joseph says to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place until your youngest brother comes here. <laughs> wow, that must have been very, very fearful for them to hear those words. They must have also been at a fright to understanding why this is taking place. Have we offended him? You know, why is this happening to us? Verse 16, send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined. So here's what jo Joseph is setting this situation up, of course. And uh, rightly so, in my opinion, that your words may be tested. It's going to test them, their character. What's in the inner heart of the man, his siblings? Have they changed? Or are they the same uh, delinquents they used to be? The same deceivers and liars and murderers? Their heart's not right. Have they changed? Has enough time passed? Have they been humbled to the point where they are ready uh, to um, mend and build the bridge again. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. You're going to have to prove to me that you've changed. You're going to have to prove to me that you are now useful. So he put them all together in prison for three days. <laughs> Interesting indeed. So he put them all together in prison for three days. And again, he loved them, but it had been many years. And once you go through something of the sort in its similar fashion, the trauma permeates your thoughts, your dreams, at times it is so severe, you lose hunger, you lose sleep, uh, and you never truly forget it, though you try. And though they found themselves, these siblings and their father, Joseph's father, fully deceived, embracing in their conscience that, yeah, Joseph's dead, 
Um, they may have tried to justify that. Uh, they may have tried to find angles in which they were not guilty. Or perhaps they live with that um, dark burden upon their shoulders, which can bring a man to uh, uh, deep, deep sorrow. Uh, and there's only peace if one repents, changes. And perhaps they have. Well, Joseph is going to find that out, of course. So Joseph says to them on the third day, verse 18, Do this and live. For I fear God. If you are honest men, if, because I've known you not to be honest men, but many years have passed and things have happened, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go, carry grain for the famine of your households. So Joseph is merciful, and he could have certainly been tempted to do far worse and have them extinguished, have them executed. But he didn't do that. He provided mercy, as God, of course, brought mercy upon Joseph's life as well and made him successful. And bring your youngest brother to me, this is Benjamin, so your words may be verified. You know, we are recognizing a government leadership that is upright and just in a great many principles you and I should apply today in a practical way. Verification. We need verification. Uh, uh, it is at times quite necessary to determine the motive of the heart. If there is verification, credibility, you may say you're honest, you may say these things, but I've known you in the past and you've not been honest. You've been quite deceiving, lying. So it is indeed a tale of caution as well for his nation and the nation he, of course, is servant to, I should say, verification is indeed a precautionary practice that is wise for us to learn from. And of course, the result of that verification would be uh, one's vindication from capital punishment. You need not die. And they did so. I mean, what are you gonna, at this point, what are you going to do? Well, they did so. So in verse 21, they said to one another, Truly, we are guilty concerning our brother. <laughs> Yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll have the truth come out quite clearly. You're facing death if you don't fess up, if you do not provide uh, verification for your actions. Um, yeah, that'll bring out the truth from a great many folks who are not so far as to be hardened till death. Truly, we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us. Yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Uh, one must soften his heart at times to recognize what one has done. Um, we've witnessed those closest to us, siblings, friends, uh, 
commit great sin against us. Yet in the deceptive tongue of evil workers, be firmly convinced in their conscience that the innocent party is indeed the guilty party, and that they, the guilty party, are indeed innocent. And at times it takes God's providential winds and waves in the decades following to humble one's heart into recognizing what it is indeed they have done. Um, in our ministry, we've recognized brethren who have held bitter emotions against the faithful. And it took a great many, many years for one to finally recognize that they were at fault. And they are the reason why their children have removed themselves from the faith or why family in other perspectives or branches um, or various other consequences. Um, they are, Joseph's siblings here are brought to a very difficult and challenging moment in their life. And it is indeed upright and decent to recognize that they had the heart to humble themselves into a confession of sorts and recognize that what they did was a great sin. Um, they caused a, a great divisive wedge in their family, and it came with lies and deception. And some of us have known these types, sadly whether it be family or those we thought to be friends who were divisive and controlling and filled with pride and hate and bitterness and jealousy. And uh, they cause great distress. Perhaps one day they might humble their hearts and recognize the great sin and repent and be uh, reinstated uh, into God's good grace. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. They recognize that. Now, verse 22, Reuben answered them saying, Did I not tell you, do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen? Now comes the reckoning for his blood. I tried to warn you guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. You didn't do much, though. Like, you didn't... You didn't uh, stop it from happening. He didn't go to dad and say, dad, my brothers are nuts. They're trying to kill their brother. You know, you could have done more, I think, right? I mean, we're talking about a brother's life. But here he is, of course, quick to the rebuke. And his rebuke is right. I mean, there's not, what are you saying? It's to a, to, to a certain extent, of course, it's true. Uh, it's a great sin, and uh, now is the time of reckoning. Now is the time in which they are receiving or reaping what they have sown, if you will. So they did not know, however, that Joseph understood, verse 23, for there was an interpreter between them. <laughs> Interesting yet again how this happens. So he turned away from them in verse 24 and wept. He turned away from them and wept. He recognizes what they are saying. He knows the depth in which their hearts have now uh, sunk. 
to find this location of reverence and confession, reality, humble, humbleness. But when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simon from them and bound him before their eyes. Bound them before their eyes. They need to learn this lesson in life, don't they? And Joseph is learning as well. At times we learn some of our greatest lessons and are blessed with some of the most insightful wisdoms through deep sorrow and pain. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. It must be a bit confusing to them, of course, at this, uh, at this uh, moment. You know, does he want to kill us or does he want to feed us? I don't know. Is he going to keep us alive or have us publicly executed? They are certainly in a position of, um, how should I say, vulnerability to no end, of course, it seems from their perspective and interpretation, what, what's going to happen to us? What's taking place here? Uh, quite interesting, no doubt. So verse 26 says, so they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed from there. Here they are allowed to move forward and they've been given nourishment, which would keep them from perishing at famine's uh, reach. But what's, what's happening? What's taking place? As one of them, verse 7, opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money, and behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. Wait, what? Then he said to his brothers, My money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? Why is it God's fault, though, right? Oh, man. If we're honest with each other, and we should always be, obviously. We've blamed God so many times. I know I have, personally. It's like, it's God's fault. It's God's fault. What is this that God has done to us? You can see now. What, I mean, look into the thought and the context. Here was Joseph, which they knew not as Joseph, their brother, saying, you're spies. You're just here to spy out on us and to want to steal some of our land. No, 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 we aren't. We, we're just, we're here for food. Well, now he's going to claim we're thieves or something, that we stole food from him or something. He, must re he really hates us. I don't know what's going on. And as a result of all those things, somehow God has done this to us? Well, okay, let's, let's just reason with each other here. Did God do that to them? Well, yes and no. God has permitted the moment to take place through his providential winds. Why? Because it challenged them into a humble position of the heart. God will permit evil things to happen 
It's not because he encourages evil. It's not because he at times says, well, you know what? I'm just going to do evil stuff. No, it's against his nature to be evil, to do evil, to practice lawlessness and sin. Yet we are agents of free will. And he, through suffering long, being patient with us, and our lawlessness, will permit a moment in which they recognize a consequence to their actions. I should have never been, I should have never allowed that person into my life. Now God has taught us why. They are learning a lesson in life. God allowed it to take place. But they are the conductors of that moment through their free will and the decisions they made in life. What is this that God has done to us? Well, through that perspective, no, God didn't do that to you. You did it to yourself. God has allowed it to take place, but you are the independent, accountable vessel in which these consequences are now happening. <laughs> Your um, sins will catch up to you. The truth always comes out. You cannot be an individual who is an evil worker and not have a history of chaos and division and bold-faced lies and deception and manipulation and all these things and not have that come to you one day roosting. It will. It will. It's a matter of time. Um... I've learned that the hard way, certainly. And God has blessed me by, um, how should I say, repairing my character flaws in a great many ways. And I still have many to be repaired, obviously. We all have work to do to become better Christians, better people. Uh, but I've had to learn some harsh lessons in life as well. And uh, many times I, I've, 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 cried and wept and screamed at God. Why? Why? Why has this happened? I don't understand why. Well, you made some poor decisions in life. You made some poor decisions with relationships, perhaps? With engagements with authority? You name it. If you have a weak spot and allow evil people to infiltrate your life, evil people are going to do evil things and you're going to find yourself broken by that one day. You made decisions that led to that moment of consequence. Now that does not alleviate the fact that evil people will be brought to justice one day for doing evil things and living evil ways. But you should have, of course, had the ability to discern evil people and remove them from your life or practices. You should have been wise to remove yourself from certain sinful practices. Uh, I'm as much affected by that as anyone else. We all are. And these here siblings, well, they're not void of that consequence at all. They've done something very serious to their brother. It should not have happened but they did it. Now, granted, Joseph probably learned a few humbling lessons himself. 
he fueled the fire in their hearts with certain ways and certain things. And he was, of course, there is some blame there with Jacob as well. With uh, his uh, practice of, uh, how should I say, um, oh, what's that word now? I lost it. Um, favoritism. What is this that God has done? What time are we on? 48? How many, what, how many verses do we have left? Uh, yeah, we can move forward. Let's move forward, shall we? Simon is held hostage. So the text continues, and the flow of the context, of course, reveals the information you and I are learning from. When they came to their father... So remember, they left here, what is it that God has done to us? And this is their thought. When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly with us and took us for spies of the country. Now, that's not the kind of report your father wants to hear. You know, it doesn't seem to be very good. And imagine as a father having to hear this kind of information, I'd be like, why does this kind of stuff always follow you guys? What are you doing wrong? <laughs> I trusted you to go there in, good, in, 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 in a good um, and friendly way to receive food. And now you come back talking about that the leader there has charged you of being spies and he was harsh with you but we said to him they say in verse 31 we are honest men and are not spies so we tried to defend ourselves we did the best we could we told them like listen we're not here to spy out on anything we're not here to steal from you we just want some food they're bringing this report to jacob we are 12 brothers sons of our father one is no longer alive and the youngest is with our father today in the land of canaan the man, the Lord of the land, this is Joseph, whom they not know yet, that is Joseph, said to us, this is what he says to us, Dad, by this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your household and go. So this is, we were in a bind, and the only way out of that bind is to obey his command. If we obey his command and we do as he has so instructed us to do, then we have hope in being verified as honest men who simply came here to get some food and obviously to have our brother again who is currently uh, locked up over there. But bring your youngest, verse 34, brother to me, that I may know that you are not spies. He, again, they are telling their father what Joseph was telling them. Uh, but honest men, I will give your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. This will give you the golden ticket. You'll be allowed to purchase food in Egypt. Now it came about, in verse 35, as they were emptying their sacks, that, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were dismayed. Like, oh, great, what's happening now? Their father, in verse 36, Jacob says to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simon is no more. And you would take Benjamin. 
All these things are against me. Now he can't connect the dots. He's having a hard time putting the puzzle together, but he, somehow he knows it has to do with them and what's going on. It's not right. Why is this pain coming to me? Really? What have you guys been doing? Then Reuben, verse 37, wasn't it Reuben who was also speaking to his brethren back in Egypt saying, man, I told you guys this stuff would happen. I told you to, to, you should have listened to me. So Reuben spoke to his father saying, you may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my care and I will return to you, return him to you. Well, whose grandfather, you know, he's a grandfather to these children. Are you going to murder the, the, my children? It's interesting, really. But, of course, the idea is, no, Dad, you're not going to lose any more. You're not going to lose your sons, okay? You've been through enough. And I know, like, he knows in the back of his heart, he knows that his father is firmly convinced of a lie. He's ignorant to it. Jacob is ignorant to the lie that he's believed, but he has firmly believed that lie. Many today, again, sadly, that's how a wolf in sheep's clothing devours, if you will. He devours individuals who are naive of thought, and he does to, so through intimidation or flattery and uh, deception to have them fully convinced of a lie that the, that the innocent party is guilty. And that they, the guilty party, are innocent. And that can go on for decades, years. So Reuben, he has this in his heart. It's festered long enough. He, he, he's not confessing it, but he knows it's in there. And so he is ready to that. You want to know the consequence of that burden? It is so severe that he's willing to have his sons murdered or executed if he does not bring back his father's son. That's how desperate you get. But it's, it's designed in a way to have us humbled in repentance, changing. So this is what he says to his father. But Jacob says to him, verse 38, My son shall not go down with you. Not going to happen. For his brother is dead. And he alone is left. If harm should fall, befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. In sorrow. And that, of course, concludes chapter 42. And in chapter 43, Lord willing, next week, we'll look at the return to Egypt. We'll look at the return to Egypt. Isn't that fascinating? Truly interesting to me. Truly. AddedSouls.com, AddedSouls.Locals.com, if you find any value or, or any substance in, in, in these sessions, please consider signing up and supporting. We have to raise our support. You can do so. No amount is too low. No amount is too high. There is the PayPal option, AddedSouls at gmail.com. You can reach out to me. We can have a video chat, a conversation, phone call, whatever is necessary. Everything is upright, transparent, and honest. It has been for years. 
And uh, you can get involved with this work and growing the Added Soul Studio and uh, reaching further and all that kind of stuff. I labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ over here in New Brunswick, Canada. It is a healthy and growing church. And you can check out the .com. You can check out the Facebook page. Please consider liking, sharing, commenting, all that kind of good stuff on whatever platform you're watching us on. We're on all of them. YouTube, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Rumble, and uh, of course, in audio form, iTunes, uh, Substack, um, Spotify, Amazon, Google, you name it. We're all over the place. And uh, our purpose is to, of course, on our Wednesday theme, uh, studies. And we've been going through Genesis and quite an interesting account. <laughs> Truly, I, I, I enjoy this greatly. I could... I could I could be live all day going through the book of Genesis with you and just studying and looking at the words and looking at the account and knowing what we can apply in a practical way in our lives and our faith. And it's just a, a wonderful thing, but we must go. The hour has come and uh, I want you to remain focused, of course, positive, focused, focused and positive. And, um, we shall certainly meet again next time, which would be tomorrow. Our itinerary is available, right? Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. Tomorrow is our topical discussion. And at any time, you can reach out and have your... If, if you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like for us to address, uh, send it to us. We'll put it in the queue, and we shall certainly uh, address it. That good? All right. Peace out.